March into spring with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered, one-gig internet for $59.99 per month, plus a $150 gift card and price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with a free modem, free installation, and free Wi-Fi your way home. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and manage user access for all connected devices with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires May 6, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. The interview with Thurman gave us a lot to follow up on and some real potential leads as we try to figure out exactly what happened in those first few minutes before and after the 911 call and the days immediately following the murders. So we're back in Fox Meadow again, me and reporter Betsy Shepard. Thurman told us his morning routine, get off work at 7 a.m. and drive home, taking a shortcut through a Fox Meadow parking lot. And this is where he'd see his neighbor Hanu most mornings, sitting in his car at the opposite end of the complex from where he lived. Every morning I pulled in that lot, I would see him around there picking up a young lady. She used to always have a briefcase, black skirt on, black jacket. Every morning he would be picking her up. What else did she look like? Can you describe like her she was, you could tell she was, what you say, Indian. She wasn't that dark. She was slim, not too skinny, though. Looked like, like she might have weighed about 135, something like that. Can you describe her height? She looked like she might have been about 5'9". She wasn't no short girl. She wasn't no ugly girl, either. She was real pretty. Thurman also said this woman was the same woman he saw helping Hanu clean out his apartment just days after the murders. This has me thinking back to Sussie's letter to her brother. She mentioned chats Hanu was having with another woman. She accused him of cheating. News reports around the time of the murder salaciously repeated Sussie's accusations, implying that the alleged affair was proof of Hanu's motive. And Sassi identified the woman in the letter, she wrote the name Deepa Ajit from CTS. We run a background check on that name, and we get a hit. There's a Deepa Ajit who lived in Mapleshade from 2013 to 2017 in an apartment in Fox Meadow, just a half mile from the Naras. So Betsy and I hop in the car to clock the drive time between the Nara home and this new address. Let's see how long it takes. I'm going to put my timer on. Okay, let's start. Coming up to the end here, and... Well, just two minutes. Two minutes from the Nara's place to Deepa's apartment. Unfortunately, Deepa doesn't live in Fox Meadow anymore. According to property records, she moved out in April 2017 one month after the murders. Standing in the parking lot in front of Deepa's old apartment, we realize this address checks one other box. It's the parking lot Thurman told us about, the shortcut he took on his way home from work. So it seems highly probable that the woman Thurman saw with Hanu is the same Deepa Ajit that we've identified. And according to Thurman, Hanu treated this woman very differently than he treated his wife. You were saying that 
when they would go leave the house, Sasikala would sit in the back seat and Hanu would be in the front seat. When you would see Hanu picking up this other woman, where would she sit? In the front seat. In the front seat. Open the door and got in like it's no problem. We can't find much on Deepa, except for one key detail. On her LinkedIn page, it says that Deepa worked in the Philly area as a senior project manager for Cognizant from 2011 to 2017. Cognizant is the same tech company where Hanu and Sussi both worked. And we discover the full name of the company is Cognizant Technology Solutions, or CTS, as in Deepa Ajit from CTS. So in this episode, we're looking into Cognizant. It's what brought all our characters together thousands and thousands of miles from India in one large apartment complex in suburban South Jersey. I'm Tinku Ray. And I'm Ben Adair. This is Strangeland Season 2, Murder in Maple Shade. Episode 9, The Commute. Being industry ready is the key to accelerating one's career from day one. And the internship program has helped me become just that, industry ready. This is a recruitment video for Cognizant, the massive IT company where all of the people central to this story worked at the time of the murders. It's aimed at Indian tech workers like Hanu, Sasi and Deepa. Uh, my project was on data analytics, and we developed a chatbot for data privacy. With videos like this, Cognizant tries to woo Indian IT professionals into a kind of tech worker pipeline, starting with internships at the company and moving up through the ranks. While the bulk of Cognizant's nearly 350,000 employees are based in India, a select group of workers make the move to the United States, where Cognizant has its headquarters. Teaneck, New Jersey, actually a couple hours' drive from Mapleshade. But the NARAs weren't reporting to TNEC because, like most Cognizant employees, they were subcontracted out to other companies. It's the Cognizant way. Bring tech workers to the U.S. on employment-based visas and then reassign them to one or more corporate clients. IT services is the the kind of business that's very labor-intensive, meaning that you're not selling a product, you're really reselling labor, you're reselling workers. This is Ron Hira. He's the son of Indian immigrants himself and literally wrote the book on the outsourcing of U.S. white-collar jobs. It's called Outsourcing America. Ron says Cognizant, essentially, offers a cost-cutting tool for big businesses. The business model and the business proposition works like this. Cognizant will go to Disney and say, look, you've got 250 people in your IT department in Orlando. If you outsource that those 250 uh, workers to us and that work and the tasks that those workers are doing to us, we will save you, let's say, 25% in terms of your costs. Cognizant has between 45 and 50,000 employees in the U.S. Ron says that a lot of them are Indian immigrants from Andhra Pradesh, just like the Naras. 
They're brought here on H-1B work visas, which is a type of visa available exclusively to highly skilled, college-educated workers. It's a temporary visa that's tied to a person's job, which means if you lose your job, you also lose your visa. Cognizant is one of the biggest sponsors of H-1Bs, and that gives it enormous power over its workforce. That worker cannot easily switch jobs, and if they're laid off, they have to leave the country within 60 days. And as a result, they're willing to put up with working conditions um, that no U.S. worker would put up with. You know, being sent to different client sites, working longer hours, maybe under uh, abusive conditions, those kinds of things. The visa is a key component to all this. Foreign workers will accept subpar working conditions and cut-rate pay just for the chance to live in the U.S. But these immigrants can become targets of what's been termed exploitation. So if an employee says, look, I don't want to work the weekend or, you know, this is just too much work for me, um, the employer could threaten them uh, with termination. It's pretty clear that those workers feel like they're Uh, not even second-class citizens, because they're not citizens. They're uh, treated as the other and are placed in in bad positions. And so H-1B employment can breed a culture of coercion and silence. But there is one upside for immigrants. H-1B visas can also be a stepping stone to permanent residency and naturalization. We don't know what kind of visas Sassi and Hanu had, because immigration status is not public information. But we do know that most cognizant employees are brought here on H-1Bs. And so, we can't help but wonder if the immigration status of the people closest to the Naras might be another reason this case remains unsolved. Even if co-workers knew something about the crimes, the alleged affair or Hanu's alibi, would they have felt comfortable speaking up? especially given Hanu and Deepa's standing at Cognizant. According to Hanu and Deepa's LinkedIn profiles, they both held senior positions at the company, her as a senior project manager and him as a senior associate. We reach out to dozens of co-workers of Sasi, Hanu and Deepa, but aren't surprised when they decline to speak to us or don't respond. We contact Cognizant's corporate office, but they never return our calls or respond to our emails. We do get a tip from an anonymous source within the company. Let's call him Kumar, because he doesn't want to publicize his name or have his voice on tape. He's afraid it may jeopardize his visa status. He's just applied for permanent residency and needs Cognizant to sponsor his green card application. Kumar tells us that Hanu, Sasi, and Deepa were all assigned to work at Comcast, the media conglomerate. And he confirms that Sasi worked from home while Hanu and Deepa worked together at Comcast's headquarters in downtown Philly. Online business directories also say that Deepa and Hanu both worked at this location. It might not sound like much, but remember, Hanu told 911 operators he'd just come home from the office. And later, According to court filings, he specified that he was at an office party after work. So we make the commute to Comcast HQ to check Hanu's alibi, to try to determine whether it's as airtight as it appears to be. That's coming up after the break. 
Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 5. South Dakota seemed like the perfect place to unplug. But I ended up connecting to the world around me. A world where each sunset was painted. Where I felt adventures pulse with every step. And where cold water trickling, pine swaying, and grunting bison became my favorite soundtracks. I just wish I didn't have to leave. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. We've sent reporter Betsy Shepard to the Comcast Center campus in downtown Philadelphia to see where Hanu and Deepa worked and to check on a few things about Hanu's alibi. There are two humongous skyscrapers that are about 60 stories tall. Together, they hold about 8,000 employees. It looks like, you know, Rockefeller Square, 30 Rock, but the Philadelphia version. The complex also includes a Four Seasons hotel and some fancy restaurants. Hello. Hi, how's it going? Um, I'm trying to find someone that can help with a press request. So I don't know if you have anybody that's like on location that like is part of a communication. This campus is where Hanu and Deepa are said to have worked. And it's a far cry from Sussie's setup. She worked out of their one bedroom apartment. On the night of the murders, Hanu told 911 operators that he had just come home from the office and later clarified that he had been at a work happy hour. In the lawsuit Hanu filed against the state of New Jersey, his lawyer says he provided proof of Hanu's alibi. So on my way to Philly, I stopped in Mount Holly, New Jersey, to visit the records department for the Burlington County Civil Courthouse. I found the case file for Hanu's lawsuit, and the so-called proof of his alibi. It's a photocopy of a time-stamped receipt from a place called City Tap House, a chain gastropub. And it turns out, City Tap House is just down the street from Comcast. And here we are. And it's about a one-minute walk from the Comcast Technology Center lobby. The bar is full of tech workers, downtown executives, and people in finance. A lot of suits and loosened ties. The crowd is mostly white and Indian. And without even mentioning what we're doing there, the bartender gives us the lay of the land, tells us that Comcast workers like to throw down at the bar. We check Hanu's receipt for pertinent details, and we learn four things. First... That bartender is not wrong. This office party was kind of a rager. The bill totaled more than $2,200, and more than $1,200 of that was alcohol. Second, there are two timestamps on the receipt. The tab was opened at 4.11 p.m. and closed at 7.56. 
That's when the restaurant ran a credit card, likely marking the end of the party and, assumedly, the time that Hanu left. Third, that means the card was open for nearly four hours, a long time for an after-work happy hour, unless people are coming and going, in which case Hanu could have easily slipped out and back in before the tab was closed. And fourth, Hanu's name is not on the receipt. There are the last four digits of an Amex card, which could be linked to him, but the signature line is blank, so we don't know. So we're here at CityTap to see how much water Hanu's alibi really holds, and if there's anyone who can tell us about the work party or what time Hanu left the restaurant. We also want to know if employees were ever contacted by law enforcement or if investigators corroborated Hanu's alibi with any eyewitnesses. Because all of this seems very important. It's basically what would take him off the suspect list. He was at a work event or something, so he had a rock-solid alibi. From the details I got, his alibi checked out that he was at a work function. A source confirms investigators have not found the murder weapon and that the husband's alibi of being at work when the crime was committed is solid. The receipt from CityTap has the server's name on it. It says John C. So that's who Betsy's looking for. Okay. Is there anybody here that, by the name of John that works here, a server named John? The bartender says no. He's worked here for years and doesn't remember anybody by that name. Neither does the waitress, the hostess, or the manager. Because, remember, the receipt is from six years ago. So let's say Hanu was at the restaurant until the time on the receipt, 7.56 p.m. What does that mean in terms of his drive home? To find out, we make the commute from Comcast to Fox Meadow. It's approximately the same time as when Hanu would have left here on a workday. Okay, I'm turning into Fox Meadow. Turns out it takes 23 minutes to get from the Comcast parking garage to Hanu's doorstep. So even if Hanu didn't leave the party until nearly 8 p.m., he still could have made it home by 8.30. His 911 call was at 9.04. And this brings up another point of contention in the timeline. As we mentioned before, Sassi's autopsy says she died at 3.30 p.m. We know that's not possible because one of Anisha's after-school tutors has a sign-out log that shows Sussy picked up Anish from school around 4.30 p.m. So Sussy was killed after, say, 4.45 and before 9.04. When we asked the medical examiner about this inconsistency in the time of death, they say time of death is just approximate. Anish's time of death is listed as 8 p.m. But how can we believe that? It's entirely possible that Anish died sooner or later than indicated. And if that's the case, then what good is a time-stamped receipt for anybody's alibi? Here we are, back at Fox Meadow once again. We're parked outside the Nara's former apartment, 
when an Indian family pulls up and enters a neighboring unit. We've tried knocking on their door before, but no one has ever answered. We jump out to catch the residents while they're home. I'm invited in, but they don't give me permission to record. The husband is a software engineer who works at, you got it, Cognizant. He says he didn't know the Naras, had no idea who committed the murders. But he does say something very interesting. I recap with Betsy in the car. Okay, so what happened? Went up to the door and I just asked him if you were here at the time. He said, yes, we were, but we don't know anything. He told me that if we want to really know what happened, we should talk to his former neighbor, the person that lived directly in the same block across from them upstairs. Because she was there on the night and was the, one of the first people to go in and see the bodies. She went in? She went in and had, you know, saw what was going on and was helping police. This must be the mystery woman from the 911 call. The woman who fills in all the details while Hanu's talking to the operator. Come on, it's blood everywhere. I've got no reason to hold on. Where the freak is the cop? The neighbor says he doesn't know the woman's name and he doesn't want to get involved in this. So, once again, we've got to figure it out for ourselves to find the neighbor and find out what she saw behind the yellow tape. That's on the next episode of Strangeland, which starts right now. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 5. South Dakota seemed like the perfect place to unplug. But I ended up connecting to the world around me. A world where each sunset was painted. Where I felt adventures pulse with every step. And where cold water trickling, pine swaying, and grunting bison became my favorite soundtracks. I just wish I didn't have to leave. There's so much South Dakota. So little time.